another very suspect podcast and i'm lewis and with me again is glenn hello <laughs> this time again on the phone because this is another coronavirus episode and today's uh chat will be about two creators that were uh pretty huge in the uh in the 70s at least if you were a kid and we were kids and uh, influenced a lot of things especially saturday mornings and that the creators did and marty croft that is true. <laughs> and most people don't realize that they're Canadian. I know. I, yeah. I didn't realize that until I started doing a bit of research. They were both born in uh, Montreal. Yep. And, you, yeah. and and they're getting up in age, too, right now. They are. I think uh, one is 83 and the other one's 90 or something. Yeah. I yeah. think uh, the older one, Sid, he's going to be 91 <clears throat> at the end of July. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. They're both still alive. And, uh, you know, as of not terribly long ago they were still trying to launch stuff but we'll, yeah, we'll get yeah. to that later yeah. just as a quick kind of like pre Sid and Marty Croft productions intro I guess would be that uh, that it was Sid who was the puppeteer or the first puppeteer and he worked in like he had live shows that he would do with puppets and vaudeville and everything and uh, yeah. Yeah. and he started bringing I guess he was hired by Ringling Brothers and Barnum mm-hmm. and Bailey Circus to do stuff uh, for them and then he went on to do his uh, one-man puppet show. And yeah, an interesting thing about his, his show that that I discovered was that he would use puppets and, and specifically marionettes. Mm-hmm. But, but he would, uh, strangely enough, um, put little people in costumes and have yeah. them kind of do the show. And then he would uh, apparently make it very demonstrative and like cut the strings and the puppets would continue moving and... And uh, according to him, anyway, people just couldn't figure out how how this was happening. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was quite a sensation. Yeah, you could say that was the precursor to him using, uh, you know, small people in his TV work later on. Yeah, and they used small people in a lot of their shows, actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Well, I'd say most of them, really, if you were to really look at it. Yeah, pretty well. Maybe not in, you know. It in... might be bit parts even, but mm-hmm. they, were, they were always there. And I guess their foray into uh, television. Oh, his brother started. Uh, Sid was doing the circus stuff, and he brought the one-man show to uh, to Europe. And mm. stateside, his brother started doing some puppeteering too. I think. Yeah. Around. Yeah. And uh, then they got together and uh, did. I guess. Uh, well, their first shows puppet themselves. show that was actually done as a pilot was a thing called Irving, and it was like 1957, and that was puppetry. And at that same time period, they were doing a live show that was more of an adult-themed puppet show called mm-hmm. uh, Les Poupées de Paris. Oh, that's and, right. And uh, that was definitely geared – they were actually aiming that as, at a more of an adult audience, a little more risque humor in it. But Irving was definitely something that was more for children. And uh, I've seen it before. It's not very good. I think it's a bonus feature on um, uh, HR Puppet Stuff DVD collection that Rhino put out. And yeah, it's a, it's what you'd expect. It's primitive, obviously, for that time period. I mean, it kind of shows what they would later on do, you know, with some of the costuming ideas and everything, too. But it was a very early, you know, primitive version of it. They hadn't quite fleshed out their ideas that would, you know, show up a dozen years later or so. But, mm-hmm. yeah. 
they were working on it, definitely. It shows the origins. You can see the beginnings of what they have in mind, but it seemed almost like they needed the, the psychedelic 60s to really kind of go full-blown into it. Yeah, they they really embraced that, and mm. you know, to the point that a lot of people thought that they were under the influence for a lot of their shows, but sure. they, they, of they course, say that that's not... denied. Yeah, they say, you know, I mean, famously, and they've said it in so many interviews that I've seen, is that you can't be high and do these shows. You know, yeah, you can't... Yeah. You can maybe get high afterwards, but in the actual production of it, sure. No and yeah. Marty, who always seemed to be the of the two of them, the one who was a little more. I don't know what the word I want to use for him is, but uh, he has definitely not tried to look as quite as goody two shoes as his brother Sid. No, so wait, he, he's when made you... references to uh, you know, yeah, maybe maybe we maybe I did things when I wasn't working because I was never a goody two shoes. But you know, whereas his brother definitely kind of seems more like he was the goody two shoes. <laughs> yeah, his brother is is much you know he. Uh, it is the older brother. Yeah. Yeah, and his younger brother, you know, he speaks slower and he's he's a, he has a softer personality. Sure. You know, when you see um, Sid, interviews. you're talking about now. Sid, yeah. Sid does definitely, yeah. yeah. Marty, they don't even seem like brothers, actually. In a lot no, of no, no. They even even the looks are are vastly different yeah. between the you two. You almost think they're business partners, not brothers. Yeah. So they that was. That was their origins. And then, of course, I guess somebody from, is it NBC or something, who put on um, Banana Split? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it was the Hanna-Barbera production. Hanna-Barbera. So I guess Hanna-Barbera reached out to them for, for the creation of the characters and the sets. Of it, because of the puppet mm-hmm. show and that, that they'd seen it and they yeah. really enjoyed it and they kind of brought them in to, to basically design all of And I imagine at that point in time that Sid was probably reaching out to people in that industry saying, hey, I can create characters and I can do costuming and I can do all this. And that's probably what led to Hanna-Barbera bringing them in. Of course, uh, it ran two years and asked what... Yeah. Another so, great show. Make a bunch of so many more Over hill and highway The banana buggies go Coming up to bring you The banana split show Making up a mess of fun Making up a mess of fun Lots of fun for everyone Cha la 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 Cha la 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 Cha la 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 Cha la 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 Yeah, so in the midst of that running, obviously they went full bore into their first, first real creation, which was, of course, the H.R. Puffin stuff TV show. Yeah, I mean, once and, you know that they had a hand in, in designing uh, Banana Splits, you can you can pretty much see it. You can you see, can see the, that, yeah, that that could follow. But, of course, they took it way beyond, obviously, what they created for Banana Splits. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are basically animal costumes in a set that wasn't that far out. But eventually, you know, you look at H.R. Puff and stuff, and it's like living, breeding trees and all sorts of creatures. Just It's a lot more out there, which, yeah. of course, then leads into these guys were high when they created this. Yeah. It's, uh, it definitely seems more like it, whereas when you watch the banana splits, you don't necessarily think that. It's not like, oh, this is so psychedelic. Even though it was the same era, it doesn't seem like that. It seems more like this is a kid's show. H.R. Puff and stuff was like, yeah, this is a kid's show, but this could also be of appeal to, you know, waste university students, which I'm sure it was at the time, too. Oh, for sure. I I can't help but look at Banana Splits uh, now and think that there's some kind of influence of the fabulously furry Freak Brothers. Sure, <laughs> you know, sure. there's three of them, and they seem to follow aspects of them. But anyway, that's that's a digression. I, and uh, yeah, and so they uh, decided to basically make their own show, mm-hmm. and they yeah. they sold it, and they sold it by. Apparently, they wouldn't really, in their presentations, they were very visually focused and not so much script focused. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would have these really elaborate books with uh, illustrations and paintings of everything that they wanted to do. And uh, they presented it to um, whatever TV station uh, that it aired on. I'm Mm -hmm. guessing NBC? But I could be wrong. I'm not actually even sure about I'm not that. Not quite right. sure. I don't yeah. know. But they they went for it, and it went into production. 
Yep, yep, in 69, and uh, it only had one season. <laughs> Surprisingly. I know, you think of that as being like, oh, it ran for so long, but it was only 17 episodes. You know, so. yeah, <laughs> but that's actually kind of something that stays consistent with them throughout the 70s with their creations. They often didn't have long runs. There was a few exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, they kind of they just kind of came and went relatively quickly. It's almost like they had an idea, they did it for a while, they got sick of it, and they moved on to the next idea. Yeah, it almost it almost. I mean, maybe it had to do with ratings too, no doubt. But it almost didn't seem like the ratings really were the issue. It was like they had all these other ideas and they wanted to keep going to the next one. Like, okay, we did that already. Let's move on to the next one now. Mm-hmm. Really, wasn't about milking these things as much as they could as it was just to get on to the next creation. And later on, if we can bring a character back, fine, we'll do that. But uh, yeah, it seemed like you know, there was all these ideas and they wanted to keep them flowing, which they did, which is why there were so many shows one after another, year by year. You know, year by year, yeah. Decade. For anybody that doesn't know H.R. Puffin stuff, uh, do you want to tell them what, uh, what the basic premise of it is? God. I mean, I wish I could uh, do that easily. It's a, such a it's a weird show to encapsulate, but I guess it's like it's a boy who ends up in a magical land. <laughs> yeah, somehow. And he I mean, and he wants to leave it, although he befriends um, HR Puff and stuff, who's the mayor, I guess. Of he goes off on a boat initially, right? Gets into mm-hmm. a storm and somehow ends up on this land mm-hmm. <laughs> with his flute with his you know who all of a sudden becomes a living flute <laughs> with his magic talking flute which yeah. you know the subtext of that is pretty hilarious because the witch always wants to steal jimmy's jiminy jimmy jimmy jimmy's yeah. um magic talking flute Talking? Did you ever speak to one before? No. So there. Easy now. Oh, that's better. Terrific. And you were wrong about flutes. We can be lonesome too. Will you be my friend? Will I? Oh boy. By the way, do you have a name? Of course. It's Freddy. Freddy Flute. That's a knockout. Then what are we waiting for? Pow? Let's go have some fun. You bet. <laughs> and, and the whole thing is about him, you know, holding on to it and not letting her steal it. And I can't even remember why she wants to steal it, but uh, because of the wild. magical powers. I, oh, I guess so. Yeah. Maybe and, she feels uh, she can take those magical powers for good and turn them into evil. Yeah. <laughs> Witchy Poo was a, a great character. Probably my favorite character in the whole show. And Billy Hayes. Billy Hayes with yeah. that. With that unmistakable cackling laugh, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, even even uh, even when they're real actors and not in big plush costumes, they had really really colorful makeup on them. You know, sure. like Billy Hayes' makeup is just so exaggerated; it, it's crazy. She's like yeah. a she's like a a drugged out version of the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah, well, it's a psychedelic version of that. And that was the whole idea. I mean, they obviously used Margaret Hamilton's witch from The Wizard of Oz as a real inspiration for that. I mean, mm-hmm. they. I mean, hell, later on in, 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 in the story, the two of them actually worked together on the Paul Lynn Halloween special with Kiss, where right, both yeah. Billy Hayes and Margaret Hamilton did their witch characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, I mean, yeah, it was definitely there was that influence was there. No question about it. They, they just modernized it for that era, the, the psychedelic version of the Wicked Witch. <laughs> That's true. And, uh, and that was the first time that they used that, that trope of, uh, of having protagonists as a kid who's kind of mm. trapped in a different world and has to, mm. you know, try and make Which his way became back. became something you know? they would return to regularly through their shows. Yeah, yeah, it was a recurring theme for sure. And, you know, I, I'd always heard that the HR and HR Puffin stuff sure. stood for <laughs> hand-rolled Puffin stuff, which is a great story, and you kind of want it. They do, yeah, yeah. So they they don't say instead say what it stands for. Oh, they do say what it stands for. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. In one interview, I heard that he said that he's the mayor, but he's also kind of like, you know, the, the leader of, of that whole world. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to call him, you know, Royal Highness Puff and stuff, but he just exchanged the H and the R sure. and just called him HR Puff and stuff. He said that for whatever reason, Puff and stuff wasn't enough as as a name that sure, he wanted sure. to, to expand on it and had it, have it be a little bit more. 
Of course, and, though, uh, a year later when they released the movie in 70, it was just puff and stuff. It was, yeah. They wanted to distinguish it from the TV show. So. Mm-hmm. Which, it had a little more um, of a budget, but not much. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, yeah, it definitely was more ambitious because they did have more money because of Universal Pictures, mm-hmm. you know, bankrolling the project. But actually, they didn't bankroll it on their own. <laughs> they bankrolled it with uh, Kellogg Cereal, who was one of the advertisers on the TV show. <laughs> so, oh, they did? Yeah. So Kellogg Cereal and Universal Pictures together bankrolled the movie. Really? Which basically was, you know, the same idea. And the only addition really to it was Cass Elliot as a, another witch sister. She was mm-hmm. Witch Hazel. Beyond that, I mean, it was basically the same idea, the same people, the same kind of setup, you know, just a little more ambitious and more musical numbers. And again, it was a feature so they could elongate those aspects, too, which they did. But uh, I don't think it's necessarily as good as the TV show, maybe because something like that at 90 minutes is a little too long. It is. Yeah, maybe it works better in short doses. But but the movie definitely is, is a little more ambitious than the show. And, you know, it, it's got some nice set pieces and. You know, they definitely had, with more money, they were able to create some more interesting creations, too. So, I mean, visually, it's good to look at. I don't know if it necessarily holds up that well as a 90-minute feature, but, you know, when I first saw that, I was probably somewhere in the area of four or five. And it was it was out here in Mississauga at a local theater that was a, a standard early 70s one-screener called the Dixie 5. And they used to, on Saturday afternoons, do late morning, early afternoon matinees for children. So parents could just ditch their kids while they went shopping. And the kids could sit and watch movies and serials and things of that nature. So I remember watching like Tarzan serials there. And, and the original like Batman serials from the 40s as well as you know, <laughs> cartoons. You'd see Woody Woodpecker cartoons and things like that. But one day they did show the Puffin Stuff movie, which was probably maybe a year or two after its initial release. And were and, you uh, were you aware of Puffin Stuff, the TV show? At I don't that point? really know if I was at that point. I think I became aware of it afterwards because it was it was already off the air. But maybe somebody started airing it again. You know, I mean, I really don't recall when I first saw the TV show on TV. I feel like I did see the movie before the TV show because when the TV show went on the air, I was two. <laughs> you know, and so I'm sure that you know I saw the movie a year or two after its initial release. So I saw the movie in 70 or 71 or 72 when I was either four or five, because that's the age I kind of remember being for the most part when I was going to those things. And uh, which is also just kind of hilarious when you think about the idea that parents would just drop their kids off into a theater for a bunch of other kids while they went out and shopped for two or three hours. Yeah, I mean, come and pick you up. I, it's a great idea. And you It'll keep be hearing about nowadays. <laughs> I know. But you keep hearing about that. You know, taking place in the states in like the fifties or the sixties or something. You yeah, know, that yeah. that Saturday, those Saturday morning matinees, and it's basically yeah. all day. You know, kid babysitting for yeah. No, we had it out here in the saga in the early seventies, even. And they, like I say, it was about two to three hours would be there, and they they would show you a feature. They would show you, you know, you get a Disney feature, and then like like I said, you get serials and you get cartoons. They kind of mixed it all up and made you hang out for three hours or so. Yeah, probably some. End some Three Stooges or something like that. All well. sorts of and, stuff like that. It varied all the time. And I just remember, like, you just sitting there and the, maybe the theater was half full or whatever. Theater fit about 400 people normally, so it was, like, half of that there. And it's just a bunch of kids, and they're like, all just left alone. <laughs> Their parents went and did something else. <laughs> was it pandemonium sometimes? People, I don't really recall that. No, no. no. I just people, recall. Kids would pretty much just sit there and watch? Yeah, yeah, maybe they'd, they'd get popcorn or whatever, and they'd just sit there, and they were they're fine with it. That's why I remember it. There was probably some kids acting up, no doubt, but, uh, you know, I just remember it being like the kids were usually just watching the stuff, too, the same way I was. You just kind of got fixated on the screen, and you watched it. But, but, yeah, that's where I definitely recall seeing the movie and probably just thinking, what the hell is this? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. like this, is, this is really bizarre. <clears throat> so when when I started watching it on the stuff on TV, it was obviously just in syndication. And it probably really wasn't until a few years later with, with the arrival of Land of the Lost that I r- would watch those things with regularity every Saturday morning. Right. Because after, if we backtrack a bit, after H.R. Puff and stuff, the next thing they produced was the Boogaloos. The Boogaloos, the Boogaloos, we're in the air everywhere, flying high, flying loose, flying free as a summer breeze. Happy as a summer breeze. 
That was yeah. that was only 17 episodes in the 70s and 71, and I don't really recall seeing that first time around. Me neither. I, I if I watched it, I probably saw one or two episodes, and that's it. It didn't make much of a. It wasn't around long enough to really make any kind of impression on me. I would you know? have been too young to probably even get it, so it really didn't. It it just yeah, it was just I didn't. I don't recall that, and I feel the same way about Lidsville. Mm-hmm. Lidsville, I might have. I have a vague memory of seeing it maybe towards the end because apparently Lidsville did also didn't have many episodes, like seventeen episodes, but it was spread over a two year period from seventy one to seventy three. Yeah. And I do kind of recall maybe towards the end of its run, seventy two, seventy three kind of seeing the show, not necessarily liking it or even getting it, but I do recall it mainly because of the theme in the opening segment. In the middle of the summer, in the middle of a park, there began a great adventure for a boy whose name was Mark. He had come to see the magic man along with all the children, and twas so began the day that Mark was never to forget. He performed all sorts of miracles, and Mark was so impressed That when the time arrived to go, he lagged behind the rest Then quietly he did return the secret of the hat to learn But everyone had gone away, and darkness held a threat The moment that he touched the hat, the room began to glow And as he put it down and ran, the hat began to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow And he was fascinated, still he had to see There was something deep inside the hat What could that something be? Then cautiously each step he took He climbed upon the brim to look And all at once the hat began to shake And rock, look out! Chopper. <laughs> yeah. But the kid falling into the giant hat. I mean, that stuff is sort of in my brain. It's, when it's, I would revisit it years later, that's what I mostly remembered about it, is the song and the opening segment there. Oh, visually, it's amazing. But but to, to get back to Bugaloo's just for a second, mm. is that that was the follow-up. And again, you know, music was always really, really big for um, their shows. You know, they sure. infused it with a lot of music. And with the Bugaloo's, they actually, you know, the premise of it, as far as I can remember, is that it's it's like a teenage band who are also yes. kind of insect-like. They have they're antennas and wings and stuff, <laughs> and uh, they're really popular. And uh, they you know have tons of fans, and they have lots of music. And there was a lot of music in in Bugaloo's, obviously, sure. band. But they're the villain in uh, the Bugaloo's was, was Martha Ray. Martha Ray, yeah, playing Benita Bazaar. Benita Bazaar, which is a great. Name again. And she was not you know? a fan of the Bugaloo. No, well, she she wanted to be a singer, but she was mm. horrible, a horrible singer, and she lived in like a giant jukebox or something. She resented their success. Yeah, and she wanted mm. to somehow like steal their their ability, and yeah. uh, that's the basic theme of the Bugaloo's. And the but... Bugaloo's actually had an album released at the time too. Oh yeah. Of songs from from the show that that was they only had one but there was a single album. See, HR Province stuff had a couple of albums too. They had an album based on the songs from the show and then a soundtrack album based on the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Bugaloo's did have an album come out from a major label, and you know it was it wasn't even every single song. It was like certain songs from certain episodes, but some of the songs uh, had never made it to their record and only just exist in in terms of the show itself. But the music was interesting because the music, again, unlike most music from say cartoons from the same time period, seventy seventy one or any time in the early seventies, really, the music there was definitely reflective of the late sixties and early seventies in terms of the soft psych sound and what became known as sunshine pop it's very much in that vein and it's really well done it's actually really good i mean outside of it being a kid's show the the music created 
was really, really competently put together. It holds up with that genre as much as the better stuff from it does. <laughs> so yeah. It's surprisingly good. I mean, there's some bubblegummy elements to a few of the tunes, but uh, mostly it's uh, it's it's a soft psych sunshine pop sound, and and that's pretty interesting because Kid Show's usually kind of stuck with the more simplistic bubblegum sound, and not so much that. That's part, that's one thing of Bugaloo's I find really interesting is the music is more sophisticated than you would think it would be for that kind of a show. If you listen to the sounds that surround you, you'll discover that you're never quite alone. Hear the earth and the sky say they love you, and they're happy that you're here to share that. Take the time to taste the honey in a salad breeze. Touch the last one, every bird has learned to sing. Smell the sunlight as it warms you on the coolest day. And you'll feel a part of what you're Yeah, I, I discovered that probably really um, on, you know, subsequent kind of re-airings of it, you know, like it mm. wasn't the the original and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never definitely did not see it when it first aired. No, no, only well after the well after the fact. And I it didn't really kind of like strike me as much as the, the one that they followed up with, which you mentioned before, which is Lidsville. Yeah, Lidsville which was more was. like H.R. Puff and stuff, really, in the way it's looks and almost even constructed as a story. Oh, very much. I mean, in yeah. in that, there's another boy who gets, in this case, falls into a giant... Played by Butch Patrick. Yeah, mystical hat, falls in and gets lost in a completely psychedelic kind of weird land called Lidsville, where all the characters are hats. And each hat... I mean, it's a cool idea. Each hat kind of displays whatever personality that you would attribute to someone wearing that hat, you know, so a yeah. top hat would be very uh, high flutin and snooty and everything. A cowboy hat would be, I mean, it would be a cowboy and with a drawl and everything. And it's kind of a cool idea that way. And of course, the one thing we've got to say is to casting Charles Nelson Riley. I mean, yeah, he's I mean, amazing. Do you remember his name? Again, oh, yeah. What was his name? I can't remember now. No, Horatio J. Hoodoo. Yes. That's yeah. Right. yeah. And, yeah. and I, I was listening to some um, uh, interviews with Sid and Marty Croft, and, and they said that uh, Charles Nelson Riley really loved doing it, but he also resented it because he yeah. kind of, it sort of became his signature affectation, you yes. know, that character. Well, that's and, much, there's much to do with the match game as it was to do with Lidsville. It was, yeah. I mean, which which one came out first? Uh, Lidsville came first, but then yeah. for the match game, he kept doing that. So if he really resented it, why did he keep on playing the it, same sort of exactly, role? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Because it actually gave him work. It got him on talk shows all the time. And I mean, that, it was obviously what it was, was the fact that he was playing gay, which he was, but he couldn't really admit to that at that time period. So it became, yeah, very, kind of very exaggerated, oh, very, topper. you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. That was the that was the line, right? How's that for a topper? <laughs> How's that for a topper? <laughs> you know, in yeah. match game, it was constant ridiculousness like that too. Usually in double entendre sort of ways as well. But I mean, that was his thing. And I mean, other people did that too. Rip Taylor did that. All these guys did that. And then actually, incidentally, Rip Taylor was even in some uh, Sid and Marty Cross stuff later on too. He was in a couple episodes of Sigmund. <laughs> oh, so, that's right. Mm -hmm. But that's also something about the casting too that could be mentioned right now too is that Sid and Marty Croft had an interesting idea of the kinds of people they wanted to bring into the show. And it, it's funny because this is an aside, obviously, but having that new L. Amson box that came out, it's almost the same thing. L. Amson liked to bring in people from the past who were on their end of their careers, where you're like moments away from dying in most cases. And it seems like Sid and Marty Croft did the same kind of thing. They wanted to bring in some older actors. They wanted to bring in people who had their careers had sort of fallen apart. And uh, yeah, and that's I think that was kind of interesting. I mean, that goes back to H.R. Puff and stuff. I mean, when you think of 
like Billy Hayes and Jack Wilde, like were both great in the show. And it seems like through all their shows there, there's always a couple of great performances, some interesting people brought in for those roles. And they continued that throughout their shows. And as broad as, as some of the characters were, they were never like mugging to the kids or anything. They were like no. really invested in their characters. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. They, were, they were right there. And Billy Hayes is is amazing. Like, yeah, I, it's I, almost like if you didn't take that world that you were in seriously to a certain degree, it probably wouldn't have worked as well as it did. I mean, they got into their characters, as ridiculous mm-hmm. as the characters might have been. And that's probably what makes the shows work. Everybody seems, like you said, invested in the stupidity of it, and they're, <laughs> they're just going to roll with it. They're not going to like like roll their eyes like, this is stupid. They're just going to get into the characters. Right. And that's what made it interesting. And I mean, I think that falls through in the quality of all different aspects of the show. Like I mentioned about the Bugloos. Also, like they were very good with the music on all the shows. And that's because they usually had interesting and good people coming in to work on the songs. They had interesting arrangers that had worked in all different types of music. And people who were very successful in the top 40 worlds. And just they brought a lot of interesting people. And I think that's why their, the quality level is, is good for a lot of the music and a lot of the various production elements of the show. That's true. So after Lidsville, anyways, if we're going to go forward now, it's uh, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Yeah, one of your personal favorites. One of my personal faves, uh, 7374, 29 episodes. And again, again, Billy Barty's in it. This Billy time. Barty's in it uh, as, as Sigmund, uh, but the main kid is Johnny Whitaker, who also sang all the songs uh, for the soundtrack album, because this is another show that had a, a soundtrack album come up from a, a major label. And, uh, and yeah, and the songs are great in that as well. And yeah, that was definitely a show that I can say I remember watching when it first came out, too. So yeah, that's too. one that appeared just before Land of the Lost, but uh, was probably something that I started to regularly pay attention to. And actually, you know what? That's another side note to that is I should have I should take a picture of myself with my Sigmund uh, lunchbox, 70s lunchbox. You can yeah. run it somewhere. In yeah. thing too. Because, yeah, I have the uh, I got the original 70s uh, lunchbox of Sigmund. So. Mm-hmm. And Sigmund had a, a live action again um, yep. opening, which the other ones did as well. And this t- yep. this time, um, it takes place in our world as opposed to like mm. this make believe kind of world. Sigmund is a sea monster that befriends Whitaker, and they have adventures, right? Sure. And I mean, even the explanation for the sea monster coming to life is kind of odd initially because it just seems like he somehow just forms out of whatever's floating around in the ocean and then somehow turns into a figure and he's born that way. But then you discover more that there's a whole family. So, you know, so then it's kind of like, well, then he didn't just come together that way magically. I mean, they don't really ever explain how did these sea monsters come to exist in the first place. It doesn't really matter, I guess. You roll with it. But they never really explain how did they come to exist and how did they become a family? (laughs) And how did Sigmund somehow just wander out of the street? He must have ran away from home. (laughs) You know, I I mean, I'm sure there was elements of like of that in the storyline, too, because I remember in some episodes he did come back with a family. I think he had the brother and sister and, uh, and his parents and it almost seemed like yeah he was like the rebel child or something or the black sheep and he somehow would go out on his own and that's how he ended up making himself a parent <laughs> to this human child who, who sees him I think they were always supposed to stay away from people and keep their existence kind of quiet but then Sigmund blew it because Sigmund's you know black sheep <laughs> and he, he he wasn't paying attention to those kinds of things really and he got spotted 
And mm-hmm. the next thing you know, maybe he wanted to be spotted because he wanted to have a human friend. <laughs> you know, it, and it's, it's been a while since I've seen some episodes, but uh, that's the way I remember it. They were wonderfully cheesy. And it there was a Halloween for... episode that was great. There was there a was? Halloween episode called what Trick or Treat where they go out for Halloween and, of course, they dress up Sigmund as a costume, too. And everyone's like, that's a great costume. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great costume. And uh, But that also, what, what I remember about that is this amazing song in that episode called Monster Rock. And it's just like a Halloween monster song. It's like them trying to do a monster Monster Mash or something. It's great. Sigmund go, Halle, he say, boo don't you know, he don't know how to scare you back at home every day. He's such a failure, cause he can't scare me, and he don't scare I would like to scare But I don't know how Sigmund make funny face Like a monster When he say come and play No one wants to And you know even though he cries to I can't even scare little chickens. So, yeah. So that was a great one. But then, the following year, 74, Land of the Lost. Yeah. Now, that's a biggie for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, it has the best opening of any of their shows, as far as I'm concerned. That That opening theme is just so infectious. And, uh, the theme is great, and it's also one of the cheesier openings in terms of the models. It, and the it look is, of it. yeah, yeah. But um, well, I mean, the model of it's it's basically it's a family that go out rafting. For any, anybody that doesn't know, it's a dad and and his uh, two kids, a uh, um, teenage boy and a, a younger teenage girl, to go out rafting, and somehow they get caught up in rapids, and the rapids takes them to this prehistoric land where there's dinosaurs and other creatures which we'll get mm. into but, but yeah and of when course you remember the names of them obviously of of who of the the family uh yeah it's will and holly yeah. marshall marshall rick that's marshall, it rick yeah. marshall will and holly are the children that's yeah. right yeah and, and they're played they... by uh, Spencer Milligan is the dad, mm-hmm. Wesley Year is the son, and Kathy Coleman is the daughter. And Wesley Year, as an interesting side note, of course, went on to uh, play a role in in, uh, in the Toolbox Murders. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Which is a, a interesting career arc from there. But there's, of course, even a more interesting career arc we're going to get to in an upcoming show. <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, you, you had to love Land of the Lost. Like when I when I was a kid, like like you and like so many other people, I loved monsters and I loved stop motion. Stop motion mm-hmm. was great. Anytime there was a movie with stop motion, whether it's Harryhausen or or whomever else, um, I, I ate it up. And of course, Land of the Lost sure. had stop motion in it, and it had stop motion dinosaurs on Saturday morning. You know, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and there there was a lot of them. You know, there there was mm-hmm. uh, everything from Tyrannosaurus rexes to to uh, uh, you know brontosauruses and things like oh, that. Oh yeah, and I think they are all represented from the biggest to the smallest. You know, yeah, in terms of dinosaurs. Yeah. Now, Land of the Lost though is uh, has has a much wider kind of mythos to it, you know, mm. because different characters are brought in different different societies, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean the one that everybody knows and loves and is are the Sleestack. Mm-hmm. Blue sacks are, are sort of lizard men. Yeah, like tall, taller. They walk lizard like men. men, but they are almost like lizards in terms of their construction of their bodies. You know? Really wide Especially eyes. Their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And even their hands—they're very much like a lizard claw kind of thing. Almost. That's true. I mean, they're slow moving, and they're kind of—you know—I mean, they have—they're they not. Hiss. <laughs> I'm sorry. And they hiss. And they hiss. Yeah, that's you right. You always hear them when they're moving in a package, like. Yeah, which was which was especially creepy when you're a kid watching this yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. The 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 sound is really kind of odd. And, and they it, often come out of the dark when you're enclosed in spaces too, so you're just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely was a little freaky as a kid, but that's what also kept me tuned in every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, I remember. Oh, you remember that? that? I remember that. I remember it was 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and what's weird is that 
after after a while, there wasn't just the kind of like slow hissing slee stack. They introduced sort of like this this uh, intelligent slee stack too. Yes. Yeah. Enoch. Yeah. And Enoch what was what was his deal? I'm not really sure. Somehow he was a more evolved one. I can't remember all the details now because it's been a while since I've seen some of them. But he was somehow more evolved. Wasn't he, it to he do had with the ability to think, unlike the rest of them, which were kind of like pack mentality, you know? Yeah, that's true. But wasn't it kind of? Um, I don't know. He like... also understood how things worked there in terms of the weather and various other things involving the the sky lawns and all that stuff. He seemed to know that stuff. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other thing, though, too. There's there's all this, like, cosmic shit in that show that's, that's over the top. You know, it's like, it's funny that this was aimed at children because there's so many bizarre elements. And not just the dinosaurs that are people, people are running from. There's all these other things. There's these, these pyramid things. There's these skylon things that float through, fly through the air that yeah. can affect the weather and everything. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in that show. Well, Enoch, from what I remember, he he comes from far off in the future. Mm-hmm. Like the Slee stack, and he gets kind of transported back by accident through another weird time. Yes, yeah, he, he ends up there the thing. same way they end up there. The yeah, and, and he yeah. wants to leave it as much as the family does. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, probably more so because he's the only one there, as far as I remember. Who, who are Phoenix? The Altrusian. Hey, listen, whoever you are, thanks. Those monsters are my ancestors. Huh? I am of the generation to be born to this place. Ten thousand. Perhaps a hundred thousand years from now. You mean you're not alive yet? Like myself, you have fallen through a dimensional doorway. In my case, however, only time was affected, not location. Those monsters are my antecedents. Yeah, from the yeah I think he's on his own, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He stays away from the earthly stacks even because he figures they're unevolved. Dangerous, probably, yeah. you know. But, yeah, exactly. Which is a really kind of weird... And he's also dressed too, he did, right? Remember, he wore some weird tunic and everything. Yeah, it was yeah. like a weird introduction to you know a, a weird thing to introduce on a, on a show like 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 that. Like and the, another thing to bring up about that too, of course, is that these stories for Land of the Lost were written by well-known sci-fi authors in a lot of cases too. Mm-hmm. I was looking to more, and I realized that there was like Larry Niven and Theodore Sturgeon were writing stories, and Walter Koenig, who played Chekhov on Star Trek, was he, also a story writer, was along he really? with a guy named DC Fontana who wrote for Star Trek. <laughs> so there's all these people who have this history of writing sci-fi, and so they kind of came in and made it more detailed than you would think a show for children would be because these people they said hey let's just throw all this stuff in and that gets into another character too mm-hmm. chaka 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 was a pakuni and the fact is this little ape creature little miniature monkey man kind of thing yeah. was uh, had a language created for the show as well and i read that the woman who created this was named victoria fromkin and she based the language on sounds of West African speech, but not necessarily words, just the way things sounded, the guttural sounds and things of that nature. But then they created their own language, so these sounds actually translated to words. <laughs> yeah, so That's that when they, when they said all this stuff, there was actually words that they had in mind for what Chaka would be trying to communicate to the family. <laughs> so, I mean, like, you think this is a show for children, <laughs> and like, there, there's, there's all this detail put into it, which was pretty out there. Yeah. And not to mention also, on another note to the, to the show, the theme song is one of the greatest theme songs ever for a kid's show, and also probably one of the only ones that has a musical structure based on banjo and Moog synthesizer, <laughs> which is amazing. And the guy who was responsible for that is a guy named Jimmy Haskell, who did a lot of arranging for country music and various other types of things, like a guy who really knew what he was doing. But, but to be thinking at that time, hey, you know, why don't we have a a basis in a country sound with a banjo, but then let's modernize it by throwing in Moog synthesizer. You know, mm-hmm. which, to introduce kind of like the weird element to it. Yeah, I mean, it does. It adds that sci-fi element to it, just like putting a theremin in wood. So, I mean, that was really smart, too. And, of course, the song is just so catchy. The lyrics are so it great. Is. I it's... mean, everything about that is amazing. But yeah. that's the thing about the show. There was so much put into it you know i mean it just wasn't some like throwaway junk ah, it's for five-year-olds whatever who cares it's like they they put a lot of effort into it that's they, probably why it holds up they really do like even the pakuni when you think about it they're uh and chaka's pakuni and they're they're like um shorter uh hairy 
ape-like. There's kind of like a hybrid of, of ape and human. Yeah, um, but they're very small in size, though. Yeah. They're like mini monkeys compared and, to like full-grown you know, gorillas yeah. or anything. Yeah, that's true. And you kind of think, okay, well, you know, the sleestack are, are bigger and they're stronger. Yeah. But yeah. uh, the Pakuni actually have um, a certain amount of technology. They can use weapons. They yes. um, they, they can, move can create fire. Themselves. They kind of have that that ape like running, yeah. lolling kind of yes. uh, movement. They can definitely throw themselves away from a dangerous situation easier than. Uh, and yeah. so even that is is really interesting in that you know they are more evolved. Like the Sleestack are are the least evolved of any of the bipedal characters right but yeah it's it's a really interesting show in a lot of different ways and the weird thing though too is like it was very successful right out the gate uh it ran for three seasons and had 43 episodes but there was a problem with the main actor spencer milligan i think a lot of it had to do with cash and things of that nature but he bailed after the second season and then interestingly enough the person they brought in didn't play the dad anymore. He played an uncle who came to look for them. Mm -hmm. He also ended up following the same trajectory and ended up in the same place. His name was, he was Uncle Jack in the show. And he was played by Ron Harper, who of course was one of the two astronauts in the Planet Apes TV series. That's right. The other was David, uh, David Naughton. So he was the blonde. He was the hutch, you could say, of the Starsky and Hutch of the two uh, astronauts. He was the blonde one. Now, and, do, uh, do they explain that the dad actually makes it back, but some kind of weird thing happens? and the kids don't and so the I uncle I think so I think it's something like that like they've made an effort to try to get back and it didn't quite work out and they, the, the kids weren't really sure if the dad got through yeah I can't remember how that was resolved but anyways the uncle goes to look for them and so he ends up following the same trajectory and ending up in the same spot so that was a way they could justify bringing Ron Harper in but then there was only one more season than that that was it and the show was done until 91 of course when they brought it back for two more seasons yeah. and in that time when they brought it back they brought back they brought a different actor in as the dad, and that was Timothy Bottoms, who's more well-known to me for a love of a film in the 70s, which was Roller Coaster. He was the Mad Bomber. That's right. <laughs> and, and he ended up being the dad in this version of the show, which I think had about 26 episodes, if I'm correct, on, on that season, too. And, and so, yeah, so if you think about it, Land of the Lost did very well in terms of the different times it ran, 74 to 76 and 91, 92. And then, of course... In 2009, Will Ferrell does a movie <laughs> based on it as well, which Sid and Marty Croft executive produced as well. That's right. After it was released, they said they didn't like it, and it was embarrassment, blah, blah, blah. And everybody seemed to hate it. It, it got horrible, horrible reviews. Rotten Tomatoes gave it like a rating of 26%. It was considered garbage. You know, I personally loved it. I went to the theater, I think, on the opening day because I had to see it. Unlike some of the fans who were like, you're, you're killing my childhood. Uh, how could you ruin my childhood with this? I was like, this is fun. You know, they're making it a little more adult-oriented. The jokes are a little bit raunchier. But the idea was the same. The sleeve stacks looked the same. I mean, I thought it was kind of fun. I thought Danny McBride was great in it and Will Ferrell was great in it. I just thought it was fun, but... And Danny McBride afterwards even tried to defend it, saying, you know, come on, we didn't destroy your childhood, you know I mean? This, we made it a little lighter, we changed it around, but it's still very respectful of a lot of it, and it's just like, come on, you know. And I agree with him. It's like, you know, really? <laughs> I mean, like, I, I just thought it was a fun film. I don't know if you watched it even, did you? I still haven't seen it, no. Yeah. Do they use the music? They They do in some ways, yeah. They definitely, yeah, they do. They do. They they do a lot of parodies. Like, for instance, uh, Will Ferrell's character is a marshal, but his name is Marshall Will and Holly. <laughs> so his last name is Will and Holly. So, I mean, there's a lot of references like that. And, and yeah, the, the music does show up. And I'm not sure if it shows up at the end credits, but they definitely incorporate that in there. And then they have modernized takes on some of it. And I don't know. I thought it was fun. The flea sacks, they look the same, basically. The dinosaurs... The dinosaurs, the way they dealt with the dinosaurs was interesting, too. It's almost like the human characters don't even realize the dinosaurs are there all the time until they're like the nose of the dinosaurs basically right behind the character. <laughs> and even then, they kind of just ignore it. So it's kind of like, it's almost like they're playing with the whole idea, too. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fun, silly movie. But then there's even sort of like interspecies sex kind of jokes about, you know, the Chaka character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so there's all sorts of so yeah it's a little little raunchier in places knowing too but it's it's kind of fun and of course they get high too you know they end up eating things and it's like oh that was a psychedelic mushroom or whatever there's, there's various things like that but it's, oh, it's a lot of fun 
I, I liked it. I thought it was fun. Everybody seemed to hate it, you know. And apparently, it was also a bomb financially. It was like a hundred million dollar budget and only made like sixty-eight million in the box office. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So it was a disaster in so many ways. It was considered one of the worst films of the year, you know, kind of Razzie Award kind of thing. But I don't know. I, I kind of dug it. I, I went in, I guess, with the right attitude about it. I wasn't like, you know, like this is destroying my childhood. You know, I was like, come on, whatever. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, if it's something you liked when you were seven, if you can't appreciate it being parodied or sort of mocked even in some ways when you're much older, then it's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, come on. Now, I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it. And, and apparently that's not the last stop either, because as of two years ago, Sid and Marty were talking about doing Land of the Lost again, but now as a TV series. <laughs> And uh, so far, it hasn't hasn't come to you know, fruition, and probably never will. But that's the idea that there was going to be one more one more take at it that they thought they could be happier with. But oh, yeah. who knows? But yeah, no, it was a great show. I mean, it definitely uh, stands as one of the ones that you you think about the most, almost because of the flea stacks and the dinosaurs and the great theme song and you know the opening segment. I mean, yeah, it just really kind of sticks with you. It's a, it's a great one. Yeah, and and unlike. The other ones, it's. Uh, I mean, there's a little bit of humor and, and stuff, but it's it's it does it, it takes itself pretty seriously, you know. Like there's mm. it it's a drama basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. with little comedic elements to it. You know, usually yeah. it's dealing with. Yeah, know. that stuff is definitely left to a minimum. I mean, yeah, it's not like yeah. you're going for jokes all the time. It's, no, no. It's really unlike great. pretty much the rest of the Sid and Marty Croft, you know, work, which was a more humor based. That thing played it straight, you know. Yeah, it really did. Okay, and as is uh, our want, we have run long, so we'll just leave it at that for our part one look at the uh, Sid and Marty Croft world. And uh, next uh, next time, we're going to tackle all the rest of, uh, or maybe not all the rest, but a lot of the other Sid and Marty Croft uh, projects. And uh, we want to thank you all for listening as we really appreciate it for every single one of you and we want to thank our patreon members your cash is uh is very very appreciated and for anyone else that wants to send us a couple of bucks if they can uh please do so and uh yeah until next time thank you very much talk to you soon marshall will and holly on the routine expedition Met the greatest earthquake ever known High on the rapids It struck their tiny raft And plunged them down a thousand feet below To the land of the lost For listening, music is played by Trigger Warning. Check out their Facebook page. Links are in the show notes. A very suspect podcast is copyright suspect video. All rights reserved. See you next week. Turn into your words, I want to write it.